This episode of Manage Smarter is presented by Sales Fuel Coach, our adaptive sales coaching featuring five-minute quick coaching personalized to each sales rep. Learn more about Sales Fuel Coach at salesfuel.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Manage Smarter Podcast. I'm Audrey Strong. I'm Director of Communications for Sales Fuel. And I'm C. Lee Smith, the president and CEO of Sales Fuel. And we actually have somebody on the podcast today where talks to, who knows quite a bit about sales. And so I'm kind of excited about it. Yeah, it's Brian Parsley. Hi, Brian. How are you? I am wonderful. Thanks. Excellent. For those of you who do not know Brian, he is an entrepreneur, a professional speaker, and a sales customer loyalty and employee retention expert. Yeah, he's been a little busy. He just founded and sold two successful startups in, oh, just, you know, a mere 10 years. Look at he split. Uh, Brian also speaks and teaches regularly on sales effectiveness, building loyal customers, leadership strategies to drive profits. Well, we all, who doesn't like that? And uh, also the host of his own podcast, The Life of Brian. That's a cute name. Serving <laughs> is a board member of TalentSolve.com, his company, and Centurion Aircraft as well. Brian, we're so glad you made time for us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. You know, Brian, I was uh, reading something the other day uh, by Brad Sugars, who's the guy that started up Action Coach, you know, of all these uh, business executives, uh, coaches around the world. And he likes to say that the number one job of a leader is to create more leaders. And sometimes I, I feel like the, uh, the number one impediment to that is the actual leaders themselves. And uh, that seems to mesh uh, some of what I've heard you say uh, at some of your recent speaking gigs or whatever. How do you feel about that? Uh, yeah, Brett Sugars, by the way, is, uh, is a brilliant guy. He's the B guy, uh, I, I believe, when we uh, look at his old stuff there. Um, you know, it's interesting, uh, that perspective. I, I think it was uh, Henry Ford or Rockefeller said, I'd rather have 1% of 100 people than 100% of one person. Mm. And being a leader is really about getting people to follow you. And the challenge is, is this. No one wants to believe they're an ineffective leader. Right. If you ask a group of people and you say, how many of you have ever had a bad manager in your career? Everyone raises their hand. How many of you are bad managers? Very few people ever admit to that, at least if they're in full integrity with themselves, perhaps. But most people are no. And it's not because they really believe they are any more than their boss, who was horrible, believed they are. So leadership is about the willingness to get people to follow you. Now, how do you do that? Now, this is the secret. And if you take away anything from today's podcast, it would be this. Your goal in your job is to manipulate other people. That's it. As a manager, as a leader, your goal is to manipulate people. Now, that sounds a bit crazy, right? That, that's going to get some pushback. Manipulate no, is no, kind no, of no, a no, that's strong word. Yeah. <laughs> but let's finish the statement. Okay. Yes. With, with good intent. So yeah. manipulation with good intent is a totally different perspective than manipulation with manipulative thoughts behind there. So if you're a parent, you totally understand and get that. You manipulate your children with the best intentions for them to be safe and to have the great things in life. And sometimes people need guided through that journey, right? So as a manager or as a leader, your role is to help manipulate people to do the things that you know that's going to benefit them the most. So what are some examples of manipulation, tangible examples? I mean, what exactly am I doing or saying to this person or these people? 
Sure. So a lot of times I'll give you a really basic one. So if we go in and I see a lot of managers, they'll say, Lee, I need you to go over there and do that. Hey, Lee, um, here's what you need to get done before the end of the day. And then you'll get at the best case, malicious obedience. They'll <laughs> do it, but they're not going to be happy and certainly not going to do it with love. But being able to say, Hey Lee, I really need your help here and I want to get your input. What are your thoughts about doing X, Y, Z? Um, and how do you believe we should leverage that the best for the business? I'm actually getting his involvement because involvement leads to buy-in or commitment. Mm -hmm. But what we're really doing is manipulating him to do what it is that we need him to do with a smile. Does that make sense? It does. But I tell you what, if I've learned that I'm being manipulated, I don't like it very much. Well, <laughs> it, again, it's only going to know that you're being manipulated if it's with malintent. With good intent, it's not really manipulation because what I'm trying to do is serve you. I'm not trying to get you to do something for me. I'm really serving you in the best way I can to make you the best version of yourself. All right, here's a good one. I'll cop to this. My parents constantly used reverse psychology on us when we were kids. Like, I don't want to help take the Christmas tree down. Well, you don't have to. You don't have to help us take the Christmas tree down. Well, all right, I'll help. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, only when you, you know, hit your late teen years, do you understand, oh, I see what you're doing, you know? Yeah. And again, that, can that be done with good intent, reverse psychology? I, I don't okay. know. Like, I, I think that, I think it's just more of coming with this mindset that says, what do we need to accomplish? And okay. what is it that we really need to do? And, and how can I, see, here's the interesting thing. A lot of times we focus on trying to build these weaknesses that we have and become stronger in those. And as a leader, I have to recognize Lee is incredibly strong in these three areas, and he's not necessarily strong in this particular area. So what do we want to do? Manage the weakness, support that area, let him focus on what he's really, really great at. I was just dealing with a client this morning. We were having some challenges with uh, one of their lead salespeople who's fantastic, but he's having a challenge with his email communication, grammar, uh, positioning statements, those type of things. So what we've done is we've come up with a solution that says, look, I want him to write what he wants to write and how he writes it because he's a great sales guy. But then before it goes to the client, it goes through one additional filter of this individual that we can clean it up and almost become the press secretary. The editor. That's yeah. it. But, but we don't want to lose his voice because he's good at what he does. That's, let's, that's how you do that. I, I want to I want to drill down a little bit on the positive intent part. It's like so, you know, that's something I think a lot of people can almost manipulate. Well, it's positive intent because you know, the company needs this to be done by by this day, or or it's positive. You know, it's positive because I'm just trying to get the job done, or something like that. I don't necessarily think that's what you meant by positive intent. Is that a fair assessment? No, no, because that's going back to selfish motives. You know, here's the deal. The reality is, we think we think we know. Let me say that again. We think, we think we know. We've been taught to believe certain things. We've been taught to believe that if I manage this way, I'll get these results. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's the right way. Now, I believe that if we show up, and by showing up, and by the way, being a strong leader also means that you're showing vulnerability. You know, if you're a true mm -hmm. leader, you're going to say, Audrey, listen, um, I really don't know what we're doing at this point. And I really need your participation. I, I'm really looking for your expertise and your help and your guidance through this as well. And together, we're going to accomplish this. I mean, that's, that's true. But a lot of people hide behind the ego of I'm the manager. I know what's right. And then we have to pivot because obviously our ego gets in the way. Um, there's a rule that, that I follow. And I'm going to use the F word twice here real quick. Um, 
fast and flexible. Okay. And right. what do I mean by that? I think there's some people disappointed about in your use of F words, by the way, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no. well, it is funny. Johnny F word. Yeah, funny yeah, is well, also an F word. Yes. <laughs> so fast means if I have an idea, I'm going to take it to market as fast as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. Right. And it may not be right. It may not be correct, but, uh, but I am going to do it. And then I'm going to be flexible. And that flexibility is the secret sauce. If it doesn't work, move on. If it does work, Great. And if you can adopt fast and flexible into your business strategy as a manager or a leader, you would be amazed because listen to this and jot this down if you're listening. Imperfect actions are better than no action. That's right. Ac and action leads to strategy, right? That definitely another way to word it. But, but the problem is we want everything to be perfect and just right and lined up before we take. And my grandma told me when I was little and uh, from West Virginia, right? She said, mm -hmm said, if you wait until all the lights are green before you head to town, you'll spend the rest of your life at home. And I there's no that. right time. Mm -hmm. Grandma Parsley. Well, I, I grew up in a town with no stoplights in West Virginia, so I don't know if that would have worked for me or not. I meant to ask you how dad is. <laughs> That's a West Virginia joke, but apparently yeah. kind of went over there. I don't know. I'll see you down at Tudor's Biscuit World or whatever, and we'll, and we'll discuss it. <laughs> so let me ask you this. You say 70% of success is tied to personality. And so if I'm in a hiring mode as a manager, are you telling me to look for personalities that I can positively manipulate? <laughs> yeah. So we, you and guys are really manipulation. So here's, here's the statistical facts, right? So my business partner is also a clinical and organizational psychologist. And within the organization, these are the things that we found to be true that no more than 35 to 37% of success is ever tied to competencies. So these would be skill sets, right? So over 70%, it's actually based on personality, behavior, and emotional. What do you believe about that, Lee? Attitude. Yeah, well, you hire for skill, you fire for attitude. And, and I believe that if we can just look at this, because 85% of your reality is driven actually by your non-conscious. These are conversations that we have to ourselves. Things like, how, how do you change this? So uh, what if we don't win the contract? Well, instead of saying that in your non-conscious, you, fl you flip that and you're able to say, what do we need to do to win the contract? So instead of saying, I feel, and feeling is a word that you should absolutely take out of your vocabulary because it's emotional. And you can never achieve success as a leader thinking from an emotional state. If you take the word motion, remove the M, you have misdirected emotion. So we have to look at things instead of saying, I feel, I must. Uh, instead of, I'll try, I will. And I know that sounds like a nuance, and I'm not trying to think about uh, this uh, hippie jive, you know, <laughs> positive thinking. What I'm talking about is our non-conscious, not subconscious, non-conscious that's driving our reality. So when you put all this stuff together in terms of personalities, all we're challenging people to do is look at your values, look at your culture. And in companies, though, I work with a lot of CEOs of big companies. We have companies with 60,000 employees. And, and we talk to them. We have a company that we work with, with north of 50,000. CEO says, we, we really want to be innovative. But yet we went in and assessed their uh, employees, and you had no innovative people hardly. Mm -hmm. So how's that going to work out for you? And, and so if you can identify your values and cultures and hire based around that, 
that's going to drive more success for you then because it is proven that an interview can only drive up to 10% success an interview. So if you interview a hundred people, you have less than, and you interview them all, you have less than 10% chance of success for the one that you choose. So I, I want to unpack that a little bit. So obviously uh, we both believe in, in assessments and then and using data then to help uh, stack the deck a little bit more in our favor. But even that doesn't get us, you know, anywhere close to where we need to be. So in your mind, what are some of the elements of a really good selection process? Well, so, so talent solved, I'll use that as, as, a, as, a, as an example. Um, we are a talent management software program, right? We compete with people soft and success factors. But what makes it unique is, is we create different modules. So there's a couple fundamental things that I believe, I believe as an example, people soft is really strong in a couple areas and success factors is really strong. But is there something out there that's fully blended? So. What I just mentioned, before you hire for anybody, you got to create a model of what is the culture, what are the values, then develop a job profile that you can hit these triggers by benchmarking the people that are succeeding within that role right now. What happens is, is that if you do that within your organization, you create what's called a talent vault. Um, but but what, here's the missing component. We hire someone, they go through the honeymoon phase, everything's going great. Six months later, they're not performing. We give them a PIP, a performance <laughs> improvement plan. 60 days, you better improve or you're out. And they either check out at that point or they leave. So very few people recover from PIPs. So why are we setting ourselves up for that failure? And think about the churn cost of, of six months, eight months, 12 months of this thing. So what we do is we subscribe to the philosophy that says we assess people up front. We're agnostic to assessments. We have our own. We have 90 psychologists on staff. Psychologists review every one of our assessments that we provide. However, if somebody wants to use the DISC and the Myers-Briggs or anything else, they're more than welcome to. But you need to assess people. Once you benchmark that to the job profile, that's, that is tied to the values and culture. Once they hire, you got to have a game plan for them right out of the gate. And what I mean by that is, let's say that you're not a, a very assertive person, but you're a, a really great match for all the other roles within that job profile. Then we're going to give you a toolkit that says, here are some activities you should do. Here are some books you need to read. Now you're participating within your own progress. So as you move forward for your strategy, it's all tied to KPIs. Reviews shouldn't be once a year because unfortunately mm -hmm. people associate reviews to money and that's not the case, right? And then what happens is as you go through the life cycle of an employee, the more involvement, the more commitment, the more commitment, the more uh, loyalty that you're going to have from that person. And that's where you transform from transactional you know, talking about the customer side now, an employee uh, engaging in a transactional way versus in, in an emotional, passionate way. And so how, without giving any proprietary information away, how do you correlate those results then to predicting with a 92% accuracy, uh, Audrey's going to be here 18 months and then peace out, she's leaving. Yeah, so, so what I would do, what I'd like to do is because now you're getting into an area that I would love to engage you or at least challenge you to have a conversation with my business partner, who's a psychologist, who can give you, you know what he would say to you right there? I love when you talk dirty to me. <laughs> he is all about the correlation examples and the data and all Wonky. the things that go behind there. Yeah. And is probably one of the most 
not only brilliant people I know, but probably one of the most successful guys that I know as well in my life. Uh, let's put it this way. He flies to work in a $3 million helicopter because he doesn't like to commute. Uh, he likes to land at the office. Nice. Yeah. But there is no uh, secret sauce. It's, just, it's based off of uh, data and it's based off benchmarking and artificial intelligence that, that drives it into it. It's just over my bandwidth. I graduated high school with a 1.33 GPA, uh, but uh, but in West Virginia, I was valedictorian, Victorian, of course. That's right. <laughs> C's get degrees. That's That's right. <laughs> C's get degrees. <laughs> yeah, don't don't listen to that, kids. <laughs> well, people. Oh, go ahead, Lee. I was going to say, you know, one of the interesting things I learned about you, which is like a lot of people maybe don't know, you were a chicken cutter. What is a chicken cutter? Well, you know, it's funny. I always wanted to get a job in sales. And with the 1.33, it kind of limited your career options. And when I moved down to Charlotte, North Carolina from West Virginia, people go, how'd you pick that? Well, that's as far as the tank of gas brings you. That's right. And uh, I came down to Charlotte and I tried to get a job selling cars. Nobody would even hire me selling cars. It was October 10th, 1994. Uh, my brother said that he would let me stay over his garage in a bonus room for a month. Uh, I then uh, got a job on October 17th, 1994 at Boston Chicken. Uh, they gave me a job as a uh, manager in training and chicken cutter. And I'll be honest with you, the only bad thing about it was it was hard to get a date as a chicken cutter. But <laughs> once, I mean, you had a lie. You had to say you're in the poultry business. And uh, <laughs> but once, once uh, I was the best chicken cutter in the world. And, and I'll never forget the manager came up to me one day and he said, I just, I love the fact that not only do you cut chicken with passion, it's just funny when you say it out loud, but he said, but he said, I love the fact that you go out when we're slow and you're cleaning the dining room and you're, and you're getting refills. You do know we're fast food, right? You don't have to get people refills. And, um, and that's always been my passion and drive. And, uh, and, and, and I've always maintained that, that, uh, that mentality. It, so it doesn't really matter where you grew up, where you started from, what your first job was, and everything like that. This is still uh, a world full of opportunity, and if you really want to get after it and, and make something of yourself or whatever, there's just another great story of someone who did exactly that, and it, it's all out there waiting for you. You just have to take it. Well, I, I would agree, and, and, and it doesn't matter what you do. Again, we think we think we know because you're a CEO that you're successful, but the reality is... I will tell you, I know someone personally that is the poorest person I know, uh, truly broke, and all they have is money. Mm. Yeah, but you know? think big is what you're saying. You know, just will, think big. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm telling you that, uh, you know, it's easy to not talk about how important air is when you have air. You suck it out of the room. It, you know, becomes the only thing you focus on. So uh, don't, don't misquote me when I say don't think about money. Uh, because if you don't have it, obviously, it's, a, it's something that drives you. But I will say that the more you focus on in sales to be a connector, as opposed to trying to sell, you'll mm -hmm. be more successful. The more I look at how can I serve and help and assist my clients, mm -hmm. the more successful I've become over the years. I've gone wide, not deep. I mean, I'm yeah. sorry, I would go deep, not wide, meaning I don't have, I have clients that I've worked with since 2006 that I'm retained. And, uh, and that doesn't happen. Uh, just by, and I'll give you another example. Um, this is another mistake uh, I think that people make is they get very greedy and selfish and that's not more, worth my time. And uh, I, I have a client uh, in South Africa because I'm split my time and I spent a lot of time in Johannesburg. We have an office there. 
And I went over there in 2010 and I got offered a, an opportunity to speak at this event. And they really didn't have that much of a budget. And I just said, you know what, who's going to be there? And I said, oh, you know what, I want to add value. I'm going to do it. I'm there anyway. I'm going to help out. And from that meeting, I met a CEO of a huge company and uh, it's been a six figure contract for eight years. Wow. And wow. all because I was willing to do what most people aren't willing to do. And that's, that to me is the driving difference between success and failure is willingness to take chances. And also willing, well, the willingness to serve because I think the lessons that you talk about in the sales game are, are, are applicable then throughout all professions. I was introduced at a, uh, at a conference just yesterday in New York City and I had uh, two of my folks there and they introduced themselves and like that and then they asked, okay, and Celie Smith or whatever is here, da, 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 you know, what do you do? And I said, I work for these guys. You know, it's like yeah. laughter ensued and everything like that. I said, no, seriously, my job is to give them everything that they need to be successful, to remove obstacles, to coach and develop them, to make them the best they can possibly be, and also to, you know, the, the, so that they can take care of our clients and take care of our, our future clients. And so my, my view is not that they work for me, I work for them. And I think that as we take that forward and think, you know, who do I serve or who can I serve, who can I help, uh, we take that attitude and that approach or whatever, the success will find us. I, I agree with you. And, and I will tell you one of the, the worst things that you can do and a and position that you can have a, what I call a vulnerable mindset is actually after you win. Uh, if you think about in sports, uh, if you score a touchdown, you're most vulnerable to get scored against because people get cocky. It's right? true. Yeah. And, and, and there's a saying that says yesterday ended last night. So celebrate, but don't forget it's done. And we mm -hmm. got to move forward. And, and I'll tell you, you know, when my daughter, uh, I have a 13-year-old, when she was about nine years old, I, her mom uh, took her to a swim meet I couldn't go to. And that night I was tucking her in. And she said, Daddy, I, I didn't win today. And she said, I came in last. And part of it is because she wasn't practicing, being disciplined, doing the things she's supposed to be doing. So she fell behind. And she said, but you know what? It's okay because my mom says winning's not everything. And that's like, that. you know, let me tell you something. Your mom's a hippie. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and you know who says that? Losers. Winning is everything. But, but, but you don't have to come in first place. But winning is really about doing your best, serving others, and challenging and pushing yourself with full integrity to say, did I do everything I was supposed to do? She knows. And she hated me when she was younger. She's not allowed to touch a last place, uh, place ribbon. You know, when they handed out participation ribbons, yeah. I was like, no, sit down. You're not getting it. I don't understand. Everybody else says, and it's like, well, they're going to grow up with expectations. You're going to, when you get that, you're going to win. She recently, she started jujitsu a couple years ago with me and she got her yellow belt uh, just two weeks ago. And it's taken her two years to achieve that. Um, and what great pride because they don't just give you belts. Sometimes these karate places with kids want to give my belt every month to make them feel like a winner. Mm. And uh, for, for her, she kept saying, when am I going to get promoted? He goes, when you're ready, keep there working. It is. Yeah. And, uh, and now she's so proud, you know, because, and that's what we're missing in today's work environment. And the person that has the yellow belt that was just given a yellow belt where has no appreciation for it whatsoever. They no, that has to be they, meaningful. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. you're an inspiration, Brian. And for those that want to uh, see you in action speaking, it's brianparsley.com, right? And then the website for the company is talentsolved.com. Do I have those right? Yeah, Talent Solved. We're going to solve your problems. Excellent. <laughs> well, hey, you, first of all, can I just say that thank you. I, I really am honored to have an opportunity to speak with, uh, with you two today. And and I, and I appreciate it. Likewise. That a lot. The pleasure is ours.
Yeah. So please uh, share this podcast, tell a friend. We appreciate the word of mouth because that's how we're going to grow the audience and subscribe, rate, and review. The more uh, reviews and five stars we have on iTunes, the happier that makes Audrey and Lee and Brian. So thanks to everybody for listening and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.